Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of The New Standard. And as always, I have my partner in crime to my left. What's up, Neil? In a good mood, Lance. It's a good day. Everything's going well. I hope you are as well. I'm doing well. And, and let's jump right into it. Before we get into the program and put a lid on um, Sunday's game against the Patriots, I do want to say um, I just read some news where uh, Joe Hayden is going to retire and uh, he's going to be sign a one day contract, I believe, uh, with the Browns and retire um, officially as a Brown. So congratulations uh, to Joe Hayden on a fantastic career, played some solid football with the Steelers. As always, if you want to check out the program, go to YouTube, do a search for Neil Kulong or Lance Williams. Also, if you want to check out the program via podcast, go to Apple Podcasts. Go to Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, um, any of your podcast feeders and do a search for Steelers and the new standard. Also want to give a shout out to show sponsor Peer Health. Also want to give a shout out to my guy, uh, Plant Based Planet and Great Dads versus Everybody. Neil, let, let, let's put a wrap on um, Sunday's, I don't know if you want to stop. I'll just say Sunday's offensive, offensive performance. And let me let me just throw it to you this way. With a couple of stats here. The Steelers right now um, are 30th in yards per play, 30th in yards per game, 26th in points per game, 32nd in yards per attempt in terms of the passing game, 26th in rushing yards per game, 23rd in rushing yards per per attempt 30th and TLP and 32nd in first downs per play. There's been a lot of banter back and forth this week about culpability. And that's another word. We talk about sustainability and culpability and culpability <laughs> is always something that us fans, podcasters, media members like yourself, we always like to talk about. I mean, we don't want to do it, but we have to do it. A better word or a term for it that we always use is the blame game. When you're talking about offensive numbers that look like this, culpability and blame has to come up. I mean, I titled the last show, No Risk It, No Biscuit. It's time to start guinea picket. I mean, where are we at? And what do you see? Uh, in terms of culpability and blame, what's the, what's the problem and what's going on with this offense? And if you could paint another brush on it or you had the magic offensive salve, what would it be? What are you seeing? Who's culpable for this terrible offensive start? First off, let, let's just get it on the record that when you transfer from accountability it, when when you're transferred for sustainability, like we're talking about, to culpability, things aren't going well. Um, <clears throat> the bottom line is it, it it's it's an exercise in futility to sit and act like one person being at the top of the the blame list matters. It, it really doesn't make a difference. It, it's along with that, it's never one single person or entity in a game of football. And that's something we're going to get into when we talk about the Browns. But as far as where the Steelers are right now, I would blame, generally speaking, a, a passing 
concept that, in, in my opinion, seems to be rooted in, Mitch, whatever you do, don't turn the ball over. I don't think that is sustainable. I, I don't think that's a very good idea. And I think it is most often uh, behind the results that we're seeing. And they are, it, it, it's almost lockstep. If you don't want to turn the ball over, I don't think that anybody does. But if you make an active point to not turn the ball over, you're probably not going to turn the ball over, but you are probably not going to score a lot of points either. And that's where the Steelers are. Now, on the flip side of that, they've played in two close games. They've won one of them. To some degree, their defense is holding up. I don't think we have as much faith in that over the long haul because, frankly, the performance that Mac Jones gave on Sunday was not a whole lot better than what Mitch Trubisky did. They both turned the ball over, but Mac Jones made plays in, in bigger moments. Trubisky was zip. I mean, he really just brought nothing to the table in the whole game. Mike Tomlin speaks about his leadership and he's doing some things well. To me, what that really means is he's doing exactly what he's told to do. Um, I, I mentioned this on a radio spot yesterday. I want to share it again. I, I was at a speaking engagement of uh, former Ravens and Vikings offensive coordinator, um, Brian Billick, uh, head coach of the Ravens, uh, coordinator for the Vikings. He said this, and it's always stuck with me. There are two types of quarterbacks. The type that won't do what he's told and the type who only does what he's told. And in Billick's words, he said, I'll take the former of those two any day. Mitch is the latter of the two. It seems to me what he is being told is protect the ball. Don't turn it over. Don't force it. Punts are okay. We have a defense. That philosophy really just doesn't work. And we saw in two games on Sunday alone, not over a long period of time, but just at the same time slots as the Steelers game, why it is you need to get the ball down the field. The Jets do not win the game against Cleveland, and we're going to talk about Cleveland more and what happened in that game. The Jets don't win that game. If Joe Flacco, wearing number 19, by the way, how weird was that? If he isn't you know, willing to get the ball downfield, and he made a couple great throws at the end of that game. Um, the Dolphins, if they just give up after two quarters of Lamar Jackson beating the ever-loving crap out of them, if they just decide, well, it doesn't matter as long as we don't turn the ball over, they have confidence in their passing game, their receivers, and their quarterback, and they uncorked it and came back and won. If you're not capable of doing that, let alone willing, you're probably not going to win a whole lot of games. So to sit and decide who's at fault right now for the Steelers, you have a scheme that is not taking safeties and uh, forcing them into any kind of decision. So they are attacking downhill on you. Your receivers are starting to, to complain. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but they're saying weird things like, we were wide open all game. <laughs> when your receivers are saying that to the media, you've got oh, a problem on your hands. Here. Uh, it, it, let me finish this point, and I want to, I want to hear them because that, that's kind of where I was trying to go with this. All of these things are the responsibility of the offensive coordinator. And the offensive coordinator's uh, performance is something you hold the head coach accountable to. The head coach is on the hook. The offensive coordinator is on the hook. The quarterback is the most important position in the NFL, probably in sports. There's no way he's not accountable to this. I don't want to get into what about, what about, what about. It, it doesn't matter about the line. 
the line has performed reasonably well to this point. We cannot take that away from them. Objectively, we can't say they have not stepped up from where they were in the preseason. The fact is your offense has no explosive capability and you built your team to have that. But you have a quarterback that doesn't throw uh, accurately enough to give them a chance for yards after the catch. He's not making decisions quickly enough. He bails out of the pocket and he is constantly throwing from the, the position that you would throw in a quick game, which is to say he's throwing off his back foot. You're trying to get rid of the ball as quickly as you can. He's not stepping into anything aggressively and taking any shots down the field, which is to say you're you're not trying to be explosive and you're going to continue to score one touchdown a game if that's what you want to do. It's interesting that you say that. And let me get into the quotes. And, and I'm when we're talking about culpability, it's always percentages of who. You know, coach, coordinator, quarterback, line, skill players. But when you talk about philosophy, and I'm glad you talked about the philosophy, that's from the head coach. That That's the head coach telling General them. General manager, too. Yes, this is the type of football we want to play. This, this is the type of football we want to play. And if you've ever coached or if you've ever played, and, and big up to Coach O, Coach Omar, you can't tell your team to not be aggressive. Like when you like, like if you try to tell a team to not be aggressive, they're going to make mistakes. You, you kind of got to just let guys go out there and rip it. Now you can't say Mitch, go throw the ball a hundred times. You can't put him in those positions and put him in positions to throw the ball where he's not going to be successful, but you can't put the brakes on your offense and say, let's tread water. Our philosophy which is not an offensive philosophy, is not turn the ball over. Let me get into some of the quotes from some of the skilled players. Deontay Johnson, we have to call the right plays to get the ball downfield in the right ways. Chase Claypool, we can only do what they tell us to do and execute it. Mitch Trubisky, we have to call concepts to get receivers there to the middle of the field. Pete Fryermuth. I think we've proven over the past two years we run better <laughs> off tempo. We should sprinkle a little bit of that in. Can we call him Pete Fryermuth from now on? <laughs> Pete Fryermuth. Um, <laughs> That's one of your best ones. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, the village is not happy. Oh, the, it, the it natives are wrestling. It's terrible. I mean, it, it's. This is from what we've seen so far, Lance. This is legitimately the worst Steelers offense we've seen to start a season. There's no way you can really argue with that. Um, we can point fingers all we want when the team is actively doing that out in the open. You've really got a problem, and I, I don't want if, if everybody watching and listening right now knows anything about me right now, it's that I'm not the guy who's going to find singular blame when it comes to a team problem. There are a lot of elements that go into this, okay? Right now, for me, after having reviewed both of the games that they've played, really the only guy on offense I see playing at, at a consistently high level is Deontay Johnson. And he's done a great job um, doing what they've asked him to do to this point. He's not perfect, but I think he's playing better than, than anybody else is. The, I see issues with the receivers. I see you don't even need to have watched this show to know that I, I see a lot of problems with the quarterback and the offensive coordinator is ultimately responsible for that. There are schematic issues 
But at the same time, the players play. The coaches are calling what's out there. Trubisky is the one with the ball in his hand. I think I mentioned this on our, our post-game show on Sunday, Lance, but um, third and eight, I think it was the first third and eight that they had in the fourth quarter. They're down three points. They're inside their own 20. They need to move the ball. They don't have a ton of time. But third and eight, Belichick calls, I, I think it was a defensive back blitz off the strong side. Najee Harris, in doing what he's supposed to do, rolls to that blitzer and then turns around. Trubisky caught the ball, went to his back foot, and threw it to Harris. Maybe a second and a half total on that play. It's third and eight. Najee Harris is not an open field player. He just isn't. Okay? On top of that, the fact that Belichick had two spill defenders immediately there between Harris and the sideline. They were both right on top of him right away. What that means is Belichick knew exactly what Trubisky was going to do when he blitzed off that side, and that's exactly why he did it. Trubisky didn't even he didn't even compete in the play. It was it was automatic. It was robotic to him. Get the ball, blitz, throw immediately. You're not competing. You're third and eight. You need to make a play. You're down three points. If you keep punting to your to to the the opponent, you're not going to score. And that's really what happened. That is as much schematic as it is decision-making from your quarterback. And that that's the trap that they got into. And they lost the game, not because of that, but you had zero faith on third down. There's no difference in third down and a punt in this team anymore, just because their quarterback is clearly being told, or he's simply incapable of seeing more than seven yards down the field to protect the ball. Don't give it up. Don't take risks. You're not going to win like that. And and they're they're not. I mean, I know that they beat the Bengals, but they didn't. I mean, they they won the game. They didn't beat them. I mean, that that should have been a loss. And the Bengals right now have not played well in in all nine of their quarters. It, they're not a whole lot different than the Steelers are. Yeah, the offense is in a way. And, and, and the last quote I, I, I wanted to, to read is the quote from Tomlin on if he likes Canada's offensive play calling concepts. His answer was, I'm going to exercise patience. <laughs> That's, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely hilarious. But I mean, fans aren't. <laughs> I'm glad he is. Fans aren't. Yes. And I don't know if they should. I mean, it, it's it's not good. It's not good. There, there's no other way around it. And I want to bring in our special guest to break down this Browns uh, game coming up. Neil, you want to introduce our guest? Yeah, I'll let everybody know this is Corey Kinnon. He is the editor of Browns Wire, one of the sites on the USA Today Sports Media Group NFL Wire Network. And we just brought Corey in fairly recently. Super excited to get him going. Um, this will be the, the second game that he's been on with us, and there's not a thing that we need to teach him. Um, he teaches us far more than than we'll be able to teach him. And uh, it, Browns are, are a really interesting team. He's plugged in. Um, he knows full well. So, uh, Thanks for joining us, Corey. We appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Hopefully getting uh, the taste of Sunday out of our mouth Thursday night. So the Sunday wasn't a good day for a lot of people. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't think anybody listening had a, had a good Sunday. No, that, that, that game was unbelievable. I had to check uh, the final score a couple of times to see that it actually happened when I was actually watching the game. I, I did not believe that the result was what it was. But before we jump into a breakdown of the game, Corey, why don't you give us a, a quick uh, update on the injuries um, and, and where the Browns are standing injury-wise? I've read that there's some stuff going on with Miles Garrett. What's that look like going into this game? Yeah, so um, 
Jadavian Clowney is officially already out. Uh, he rolled his ankle against the Jets, uh, and he's been ruled out for a couple days already. Uh, Chase Winovich, one of the rotational edge rushers, uh, was placed on the IR this week as well. And now Miles Garrett, uh, as Kevin Stefanski said, we'll see uh, with Miles Garrett. So that's three defensive edge, th- three edge rushers right there who uh, two of them for sure aren't going. And then, you know, perhaps one of the best in the league uh, might not go either. So um, defensive end is looking a little slim. So third round rookie Alex Wright is, is going to start, um, hopefully across from Miles Garrett. But if Miles Garrett doesn't go, then uh, Browns are probably going to be starting Isaac Rochelle, who. Uh, is currently on their practice squad. Who they, they've activated from the practice squad once already. Um, who that's so they'll probably start Isaac Rochelle if if Miles Garrett can't go. So hope that that Miles can go. Uh, and then offensively, you know, you guys are familiar with Jesse James. Uh, Jesse James hit the IR this week as well. Uh, so the Browns are probably looking at a third tight end as well. Probably Miller Forstall off the practice squad. Uh, he's been up and down with the Browns the past couple of years. So. Uh, on a short week, you're not going to go with, with a young guy. You're going to go with a guy who's had some familiarity, familiarity with the team. So I, I would assume Miller Forrestal is probably going to become that third tight end. Um, and then Joel Batonio as well. So one of the better guards in the league as well might not go on a short week after a pretty rough game against the Jets. So uh, a couple, a few big names might not play for the Browns in this one. That's actually where I was going to start. Um, I, I started with, uh, Clowney's absence, which Stefanski ruled him out pretty much in the, the post-game press conference. Uh, they, they knew he wasn't going to play. Um, it, it's, it's the star power uh, behind Cleveland's absences that they kind of draw your attention. But l- let's talk about Clowney. I mean, the, the main value I see with him, certainly at this point in his career, is he's a good run defender. Uh, he, good he's run fundamentally defense. sound. They bring him in to do that. Do you feel the Browns are able to make that up in, in the run game against a, a, a Steelers team that has improved over the last two weeks running the ball. I mean, they're, they're certainly not at the Browns level of, of you know, technical soundness, but they've gotten better. Do you feel that Clowney's absence in, in the run in particular is going to be a, a significant problem? Um, I mean, it helps that the Steelers run game is anemic. I think that that helps a little bit right now. Um, but Alex Wright uh, has, has been kind of a carbon copy of Jadavian Clowney thus far as well. So, uh, not only do they look alike, but uh, Alex Wright is a very strong edge setter. Uh, Alex Wright has has a little bit of, uh, of nuance to his pass rush game as well. Um, so, I mean, it's yes, yes. Anytime you lose a player like Jadavian Clowney, it's going to hurt. Um, but I believe with Alex Wright, it's, it, 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 it will be salvageable, at least salvageable defensively against the run. So, in terms of the Steelers' defense going up against the Browns' offense, highlight uh, a pressure matchup uh, that the Steelers must win to have success in this game. And you pointed out that the Browns going into this game are having some issues up front with injuries. Yeah, so uh, again, so are the Steelers defensively up front, I guess. So that you know, it seems like everywhere that the the, the Browns are banged up, the Steelers kind of are, are lacking there as well. Um, which you know, you hate injuries. Um, Offensively, I would say it's going to be in the secondary, or defensively, I would, be, I would say it's going to be in the secondary for uh, for Pittsburgh. Uh, I think Akella Witherspoon is going to be really be really be tested uh, against Amari Cooper. Uh, Cooper only had one catch against the Carolina Panthers, but anybody who watched the tape saw him carve up J.C. Horn time and time again with only a, a handful of targets. And then he went nine for nine on catches and targets this week against the Jets. So uh, Amari Cooper is well acclimated already into the offense, and he's already a weapon. Um, and just looking at the, the the cornerback depth for for the Steelers, I think I, I think that could be a, a pretty unfavorable matchup. Again, Minka can cover a lot of of 
uh, insecurities in that secondary, obviously. So I think Minka will, will be all over the field again, as he he always is. Um, but I would say it's going to be it's going to be Cooper anytime he's left on an island is is he has a chance to really uh, cut it up because him and Jacoby already have shown some some really good chemistry already. Um, they're running a lot of boot and, and the ball's in, in, in Cooper's face by the time he's getting out of his break. So uh, there's a lot of trust, a lot of, a lot of um, comfortability there between Brissett and Cooper already. So in uh, a team that's not getting a lot of help elsewhere at wide receiver, it, it's going to be a, be Amari Cooper show, I think. So that, that segues in perfectly. I was going to ask you about Cooper that he, he stands out uh, quite a bit. He looks really, really good. Um, the, the connection with him and Brissett, you can almost see these are two veterans. These are two pros, pro kinds of players. They're, they're going to make hay with the opportunities that they get. Uh, I want to go into that a little bit, the, the value of that, knowing, uh, obviously with the suspension and how that's going to affect the Browns for, for the majority of the season, you bring in Cooper. Um, along with a veteran, as opposed to, you know, you could have drafted somebody if you really wanted to do that. I don't think that they would have. But uh, Cooper's presence, along with the, the at least the, the experience with Brissett, it's not going to reach great highs, I wouldn't think. But that's not an easy matchup to deal with anyway, right? Mm-mm. Correct, correct. And again, mm-hmm. with Jacoby Brissett, like, the way I look at it is going even back to Baker Mayfield a year or two years ago, the offense was already still extremely limited under him, and they just needed Mayfield to do just enough to keep them in games. And a lot of times last year, he didn't do that. Uh, thus far through two games, Jacoby Brissett has done just enough, and I would even say exceeded expectations, uh, especially this past week, 22 of 27. He threw that, he threw I, that I pick, great but last week. there's 11 seconds left on the clock, no timeouts, you got to get in field range. He, he had to yep. push the ball down the field. So, I mean, I, I'm a big Mitch, subscriber Mitch to Trubisky like football. Mitch Trubisky wouldn't throw that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big su- subscriber to, to football outsiders because I think they do a really good job of uh, not of pinning down explosive plays, but of pinning down quarterback efficiency. And Jacoby Brissett right now is 12th in QBR, uh, 7th in DVOA, 9th in D- DYAR. So, like, efficiency-wise, he's, he's playing at a top-10 level, uh, which I, I think goes a lot. I think Kevin Stefanski is one of the top play callers, one of the top offensive minds in the league. Uh, he just knows, again, we're talking about a wide receiver core who outside of Amari Cooper has dudes who wouldn't be, you know, who would struggle to be wide receiver threes, wide receiver fours on other rosters. And uh, he just finds a way to get these guys open. He finds a way to get them in mismatches and get them open. So uh, Jacoby just needs to play point guard. Uh, and, and again, if he sees Amari Cooper, you know, in cover, in, a, in like a, a man look, cover one look, he's, he's probably going there. Because uh, that's what it was all day against the Jets. Finding Cooper in one-on-one and going at him. Speaking of that, and speaking of Jacoby Brissett, you know, and looking at the game, he has played solid football. I mean, you guys are scoring points moving the football. And, you know, like Neil said, I mean, if you do the quarterback comparison, I mean, there's no comparison. Jacoby Brissett is playing Brissett, way better football. Brissett has played 10 times better than Trubisky has. Yeah, he's, so they, he's you know, well they have a function. They have a functional offense that's actually scoring points and moving the ball. You yep. talked about Batonio being out. And when you look at the Cleveland Browns offense, I mean, the foundation of that offense is running the football. Nick Chubb is a man amongst boys, and Kareem Hunt looks great. I mean, they look fantastic pounding the football. And regardless of the quarterback, they can run the football. They run the football well every single week, and we know that's going to be the foundation of what they bring into Mm -hmm. this game. In terms of the Batonio uh, injury, how much will that impact the running game? And is there a matchup on the interior um, you're looking at for the Steelers to have success defensively against that vaunted running game? 
Yes. Is Ken Hayward healthy? Is that, that, I guess that would be my question. Yes. Yes. Well, then, yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a, <laughs> a, a bigger impact because, again, you know, you're starting your backup center as well. So uh, because Nick Harris uh, popped his Achilles, you know, the first play of the preseason for the Browns as well. So you're starting Ethan Posick at yeah. center. Uh, but here, the Browns have had a wealth of depth at offensive line for three years now. And it seems like year in and year out, they pop guys in there and, and still struggle or still don't struggle to to do what they got to do because these guys can move laterally and they're going to, they're going to force defensive linemen to get lateral with you. And I think that that allows for cutback creases to open up when you're forcing a defensive lineman to consistently try to get lateral. Uh, Nick, Nick Jobs is just going to cut right back inside then off those hips. So uh, time and time again, I, I like, I like to say that Nick Chubb is the best running back in the NFL. He doesn't have the volume stats that Jonathan Taylor has. He doesn't have the volume numbers that Najee Harris had last year uh, because the Browns are trying to preserve his career, you know, playing the position that has the shortest shelf life. So his carries haven't been up there. Yeah, uh, he missed a bunch of but games he's last got year too. Biggest, the best eyes in the league. He did miss a few games last year as well, but he's got the best vision in the mm-hmm. league, hands down. Yep. Lightest 227 pounds I've ever seen in my entire life. The way that that dude gets in and out of his cuts, uh, incredibly light on his feet. Um, and then and then I like, uh, me and a, a buddy uh, through that I've networked with through, you know, through Brown's Twitter, call Kareem Hunt the best finisher in the league. Uh, you know, uh, Nick Chubb is, is excellent at, at wide zone. He's got the eyes for the cutbacks. Uh, and then Kareem Hunt is, is very gap power oriented and he's not afraid to just put his head down and punch you in the mouth. So, uh, and again, they, they're the best finishers in the league. And you would have thought, you know, going up 30 to 17 with a minute and 55 left would have, would have uh, helped to solidify that, that argument, but apparently it didn't. Um, but on top of that though, the, the Browns love, love their analytics and love efficiency. Uh, and so they're going to use data and they see if we throw the ball on first down and stay ahead of the sticks, that gives us a better chance of winning. And they threw the ball on first down a lot against the Jets and had a really large amount of success. So just because they are oriented towards running the football, they're going to try to get Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in these situations where, uh, you know, if you're on a second and five, uh, the Browns can come out in 12, 11 personnel, 13 personnel. They, they can come out in any personnel they want. They put 11 person on the field. The Steelers are probably putting a nickel back on the field and the Browns are going to run it on. Like, but if they come out in 12 and you, and, and the Steelers come out in base, then yeah, they're going to throw it on second and short, you know, because I think that's just how the Browns are wired. So, um, so as long as you stay ahead of the sticks, which they've done a pretty good job of the past two weeks, staying ahead, they had some pretty bad penalties against the Panthers, but as long as they stay ahead of the sticks, which they did against the Jets, uh, I, I think this offense is, is geared towards efficiency and will do what it takes to just kind of, I'd like to say as long as they can stay within seven points one way or the other, they're they're sitting pretty. They're sitting in the good territory where they can they can still win. You know, as ball. much as this is a physical game um, and a scheme game and so on and so forth, a lot of it is a mental and emotional game as well. Where's this locker room at after <laughs> that debacle and, and collapse? I mean, watching that game, you know, true story. I mean, me and my dad are watching the game. We knew that the Jets won. But we were watching the game thinking, like, when do the Jets win? I mean, it's only like two minutes left. It's like a minute 30 left. When does this happen? Oh, no. Oops. Bomb. Touchdown. Okay, here it goes. I mean, we couldn't believe that the Jets won that game in the fashion that they won the game. <clears throat> Football's emotional. It's a it short week. It's Thursday. I mean, what's the tenor in that locker room? Yeah, you're going to find a lot about it this team on Thursday night. Uh, coming back from that on a short week, how do they come out against the Steelers? Um, because, I mean, it, the locker room guys are saying all the right things, except for the secondary, which ironically is probably where the most star power is. So 
the most egos are as well. You know, you have guys like Denzel Ward, who by all accounts was a top five corner last year and got justifiably paid because of that, saying it wasn't my coverage. You have Grant Delpit saying, I'm not playing the blame game. You have John Johnson saying, oh, you know, the, the calls are being made, so I don't know. Um, but then you also have guys like Anthony Walker, middle linebacker Anthony Walker, who, who says, I have the green dot, it's on me. You have guys like Nick Chubb saying, you know what, I shouldn't have scored that last play, I should have gone down, we could have milked the clock, we could have won. That's on me. You have guys like Amari Cooper saying, I didn't get on the onside kick, that's on me. So as much ego as there is in the secondary, and the secondary is truly where it needs to be figured out because if you look at the game against the Panthers, they were dominating the Panthers. They were all in Baker Mayfield's face. They couldn't run the football, uh, but they let two blown coverages let the Panthers back in. At 65% of the yards that Carolina had in week one came on two yep. blown coverages and a screenplay into pressure. That's it. Uh, this week, they let Joe Flacco pick them apart. I, I don't know what was happening this week. Like, but it was just like anytime Joe Flacco dropped back, you knew there was a gap somewhere. Um, so the secondary's got to figure it out. There's too many big names, too much talent in that secondary to be I – mean, you have a first-rounder in Greg Newsom. You have a top-five corner in Denzel Ward. You have one of the higher-paid safeties in the league in John Johnson. You have a second-round pick in Grant Delpit. There's just no reason this should be happening. Uh, but I do think they have the leaders uh, in the locker room to kind of keep it straight, Anthony Walker and Nick Chubb and Amari Cooper – um, because again, their, their pressure rates are extraordinary. Uh, their linebacker play, like J, PFF grades are, you know, just a piece of the puzzle, not the full thing, but Anthony Walker and JOK are two of the higher graded linebackers in the league right now. So it truly is just secondary figures it out and, and their role. Um, but if you don't give time for Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney to get home, then it doesn't matter because quarterbacks can three-step drop you all day. So. It, it, it's hard to not discuss the manner in which the Browns lost against the Jets and what happened with uh, the, the Carolina game week one. And you hit on it. I, I was going to ask you about the gaffes in the secondary, but I wanted to start it. I wanted to start it with this. If you're putting the fact that Nick Chubb scored a touchdown to go up 13 points exactly. at the same level of a defense that, objectively speaking, seem to have completely lost the deep threat on the Jets in, in a play that you're in a deep shell defense and they're clearly throwing the ball deep. Something is wrong. It's, it's not necessarily on your running back. Now, just to clarify, just because I, I took a bunch of heat for this in, in, in social media for suggesting it, Nick Chubb should have gone down. Okay, I think we can all say that. Mathematically, the game is over if he goes down. Yeah. He didn't. He scored. You're up 13 points with a, a minute 20 left in the game. You should win the game too. Pretty you hidden, yeah. You shouldn't give up a touchdown, let alone two. Along with with the, it shouldn't even be close to a 50-50 proposition on on an onside kick. The fact that Chubb gets lumped into that, who I, I agree to go back to your earlier point, I agree with you, and I'd even put more of a, a of an emphasis on it. Nick Chubb is the best running back in the game. I don't think it's even particularly close. All all around ability. Uh, he's he's the best. He does everything that's there. Um, <clears throat> maybe another time, or for the the uh, I forget when the Steelers play the Browns again. We'll, we'll talk about that uh, Week 17 game last year when Stefanski decided to destroy Baker Mayfield, I guess, and not use Chubb at all against the Steelers in a game that both Lance and I said there's no way Pittsburgh has a chance to win this because they're going to run run Chubb 25 times and the Steelers can't stop water from running uphill at this point. But the idea of the, the Brown secondary right now, the holes that are there, it's not like uh, Wilson just beat them down the field. They didn't even know he was there. Flacco 
it has an arm. It's not that he doesn't know the game and he can't make a play or two, but they made it awfully easy on him. What what exactly is the the status within the secondary right now? What do you see the problems as being? Because Browns very easily should be two and zero oh if they made four or five plays uh, against oh, easily, Carolina yeah. easily. Or, yeah. uh, excuse me, against the Jets easily. Yeah. Um, again, I think I think a lot of it comes down to ego. Uh, and again, they've already had a players only meeting, so maybe they they had a chance to scream at each other and flush this out a little bit. Um, you know. Uh, I mean, there's fans calling for Joe Woods' head, and I do think there's there's you know some merit to this falling back on the coaching a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, if the coach is making the play, like calling in the plays, and the players on the field aren't executing, that's that's a, that's a player issue. But you know, there could be an issue where you know, if, even how smart Joe Woods and I think he's a great defensive coordinator. Looking at the, how they played the last seven games of the year last year, they were a pretty dominant defense. But at some point, it comes to maybe Joe Woods is just not a good communicator, and it, like his teaching points aren't getting across. And at that point, that is a coaching thing. If, if it's coming this far and things still aren't fixed, then, then something's not sinking in. It's either the way you're communicating, the verbiage you're using something. And I think that is a coaching thing. Again, I don't think a, a good team that is looking to compete. And I think the Browns can compete this year. Uh, will fire a coach two weeks into the season, three weeks into the season. Uh, but I, I, it's definitely time to look in the mirror. Uh, but I do think there is a lot of ego. Again, Grant Delpit, you know, one of the better defensive backs in college football, to a second-round pick, and Denzel Ward coming off a top-five season in a payday, and John Johnson coming off of a payday two years ago and being known as one of the better safeties in the league, and, and uh, Greg Newsom, a first-round pick last year. So uh, there, there's just a lot of ego in that secondary. Uh, it's got to get figured out, though. I don't, I don't know. I, your guess is as good as mine with what's going on back there. Um, but I know they've been attacking it this week, the communication issues this week. So um, they've also been rotating the green dot player. So Anthony Walker hasn't been on the field every single defensive down. Uh, they're trying to get Jacob Phillips some reps too at Mike Linebacker. So they both have a green dot. Uh, and I, I think that's probably causing a little bit of communication issue too. Like when you have two different players trying to relay calls from the sideline, it doesn't really, doesn't really go too well. So uh, I think sticking to one green dot would probably help the issue a little bit too. So um but really, it's on the secondary. It's on those guys who are, you know, your higher profile players on the entire roster to figure it out. Browns have put a lot of money into into their secondary, a lot of capital into their secondary. I thought that would have been the strength of their defense, but Everybody I don't did. think we've seen that yet. Because <laughs> the thought is, you build your you build your defense back to front. You can you can you might be able to get away with just rushing four, and Miles Garrett, David Clowney can still get home if, if you, your secondary is as good as they should be. Uh, and so that's kind of what they've just been doing is just bringing four. Uh, but the secondary isn't isn't doing their job. You know, fortunately for the Browns, you know, you're 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 playing a Steeler team that has not been aggressive in throwing the ball downfield and has not used concepts so far the first two games that's gonna stress the communication issues, you know, of a secondary. So you you might be okay in a short week. Uh, going up against this offense and getting everything corrected. It may not tell you what you actually are, but it, it might be a get-right game uh, for your defense and for your secondary, playing a team that's only scored two offensive touchdowns uh, in nine quarters. Before we let you go, uh, I, want, I want you to give me a stat line from an offensive player that would indicate a Browns victory. Um. That's a good question. Uh, as long as Jacoby Brissett had, no, that's not what I'm going to do. 
Um, man, that's a good one. I like that. Uh, man, that is a good question. Uh, I'll stick with Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, as long as Jacoby Brissett has as has more. No, that's an obvious one. Has as many touchdown passes or f- more interceptions, they win. So even if he throws one touchdown pass, no interceptions, they win the game. Okay. So plus one in the TD pass plus column. One in, in the TD pass column. Yeah. That's what I'll say. Because he I, probably can I finish with just this? one touchdown. <laughs> but hey, that's what it does, and that's what it does. Right here, live on this show, Corey. Who does Joe Hayden belong to? The Browns or the Steelers? The Browns. Browns. I think <laughs> I think Joe Hayden choosing the Browns makes up that decision for certainly him. does, doesn't it? I yes. I, I, I was I was walking into the gym and I saw the the tweet from Schefter. I was like, oh wow, that that's kind of a message, isn't it? Not a coincidence. He waits till week three of the NFL season to to retire. And certainly, and if Brown, you look at yeah. if if you look at the state of the the Ravens secondary right now, I think literally all of them are hurt. You would have thought if, if he had interest and there was interest in him, it's a golden opportunity for him there. If he waited this long to say he was retired, he really he's waiting for the primetime game against the Steelers. I, I think there's something there. I think there's yeah, something sure. to that. Yeah. I mean, yeah that's I cool for him that he gets to that he gets to to do that with both the Browns and the Steelers there. He gets to be honored with the great guy and a great player throughout his career. career. Oh yeah. I tweeted it out, but I mean, I've watched some really bad Browns football from like, he was drafted in 2010. So even before that, but from like 20, we'll say 2007 through 2018, uh, I've seen some really bad, really bad Browns football. And for the most part, there were two, two dudes who like were just bright spots throughout. And it was Joe Thomas and Joe Hayden. So uh, I'll always have a soft spot for Joe Hayden because um, some of those matchups with him and AJ Green, like for some reason, it's like Marshawn Lattimore and Mike Evans. Mike Evans <laughs> cannot do anything against Marshawn Lattimore. AJ Green could not get anything against Joe Hayden throughout his career. So I will always treasure those those, those games of watching the Browns and Bengals go at it back in like the prime of both of their careers. Uh, and again, he was one of the, the few bright spots on some really bad football teams. So. And before we let you go, I think we're all going to agree uh, Joe Thomas is the first ballot Hall of Famer. He better be. He better be. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody would say he's not. You know, first ballot Hall of Fame stuff usually gets political to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. You have to be. It, it, it. I think his problem is he's going in um, in a pretty loaded class for first mm-hmm. ballot guys. I mean, he he retired at the same time as some obvious Hall of Fame players. So um, maybe one of them gets left out, or it probably bumps down a, a few of the others. But Revis would be my number one of that group but thomas yeah. is is a pretty close second there's no way he's not getting in the hall and he absolutely deserves it as big of a as bring as big of a steelers troll as he's become there's no doubt that, that he needs to be in the hall of fame immediately it's pretty incredible to go 10 seasons never miss a game and make 10 pro bowls and then you only miss a game when you blow out your elbow the way he did that forced him to retire it's the only time he's ever missed a game the only time he's ever missed a pro bowl is in his 11th season so uh and then six all pros too on top of that. So six of those seasons, season all like that's just and keep keep in mind the all pros he went up against, all those guys are in the hall. I mean, it, it mm-hmm. was it was loaded at tackle at that point. You, you saw the escalation of uh the, the proliferation of passing offenses in the NFL. You needed to have those tackles at that point. And and it, uh, uh Thomas was tip of the spear. I mean, he might have been the best of all of them at that point, but he, you you had so much 
uh, talent and what they were doing. And he was such a, a transcendent player. Um, on a really bad team. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're on a really bad team. Career. But I, I look, you know what? It, you, who else is on the first ballot is James Harrison. And that's something, Lance, you and I will get into it at, at some point. But James Harrison, I can go back and forth on this. It's not worth the space now. But what I know is that the tackle who gave James Harrison by far the most amount of trouble was Joe Thomas. And it, it, Harrison was a unique player in the sense that he was so much shorter than your prototypical tackle. It, and he bent. He was really flexible and really powerful in his lower body. Thomas was the only one who was able to get down with him and take him around the arc. And that, that says a lot because that was Harrison's game. He was such a, a, a physical freak in comparison to everybody else who played his position. Another first ballot guy, Dwight Freeney, probably going to get in, was similar in that way. And Freeney was probably faster, but Harrison was so strong on the edge. Thomas gave him gave him fits in the, in the run game. And Harrison, in my opinion, is the best run defending outside linebacker of his generation. Thomas could, could do that. Um, the Browns weren't able to do much despite it. But if you looked at them one-on-one, it was a it was a battle. That was football at its best. Those two were oh, it's just a phenomenal matchup every every time they played, and they got a lot of games in. And I love this discussion, and we could talk about ball and these guys forever. But before we let you get out of here, Corey, we need a prediction. So on my podcast, I said 24-14 Browns. Again, I do think this is the week. I mean, this is a gut check week for that secondary. And again, they're too much, they're too talented. So I think this is the week they, they have to strap it down. If not, somebody's getting fired. Somebody's getting fired uh, on that defensive staff. So uh, I think this is the week that they, they strap it down. And again, the Steelers offense, I don't have to like uh, mince my words with you guys. It's just anemic. Like it's, it's, it's bad. So I, I don't see how they score more than two yep. touchdowns. Um, two is a lot. Two's a lot. Yeah. So I, I think like 24, 14, um, because again, I think the Browns' offense can stay efficient. I think they can stay ahead of the sticks. I think they can still run the ball even with with uh, Joel Batonio out. They've they've done it in the past, you know, sticking just random guys in there and still being able to to move the football. So I, I tend to think this is a two square win. Uh, if it's two scores with a minute fifty five left, I still won't be breathing easy. But I, I think it's I, I think it's a two score win. They've robbed you of that security. That two weeks in a row, they have. Yes. <laughs> well, Corey, I want to thank you for hopping on to program. Hopefully, we can have you on again later this year. Fantastic information, everybody out there who's listening. Make sure you go to Browns Wire. I'm sure Corey, you got a bunch of stuff loaded up for these next two days, which are going to be very busy for you on the Thursday in a short week. So again, thank you for hopping onto the program. Thank you, Corey, for everything. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys. Thanks, Corey. So Neil, I'm going to throw it to you. What's, what's your prediction for this game? We got Corey 24, 14. What, what's your prediction? I was, I was kind of on the same lines. Um, 24, 13 might even be what I say. 24, 16. Um, Thursday games are so fluky. Uh, it, it's so tough and injuries. I mean, we really don't know what's going to happen with Garrett. That that's significant. If they low, if they lost Garrett and Clowney going into this game, um, at that I don't know if they have enough to to even stop an anemic, as he said, Steelers offense. So that's tough. I just I agree with him completely. Use the word efficient a bunch. That that's the best way to describe the Cleveland offense when you can run zone and you have a running back that can see where he needs to go in that scheme, you're going to be successful. Over time, you're going to be successful. I think they'll have three and outs, but they'll they'll get Chubb the ball a bit more than they have, um, whether he was out or whether uh, they just 
for whatever reason, decided to throw the ball 45 times like they did last year, they're going to get chubbed the ball in this game. I think they are. You're going to see him eat out of uh, outside zone. And I, I don't think uh, the Steelers are going to be able to keep up with that toe to toe. I don't think they're going to be able to have the same kind of running success. I'm going to say 23, 13 Browns. I'm going to be the one voice of dissent here. I think when you look at the Steelers offense, I mean, everything that you guys are saying is absolutely true. The offense is anemic. We have not seen them move the ball consistently. Uh, We haven't even seen them be aggressive in the passing game. They're not pushing the ball downfield. But like you said, Thursdays are weird. And Thursday divisional games are even weirder. And we don't know if Garrett and Clowney are going to play, but the one thing we do know, even if they're going, even if they do play, they're not going to be anywhere near close to 100%. The one positive that I saw in offensively in the game against the Patriots is that you did start to see the offensive line play much better. Um, Of course, you know, Corey, I think said it very well that, you know, PFF is just part of the puzzle. But you did see multiple offensive linemen for the Steelers get really good PFF grades for the game. You saw them make some hay in the running game. Unfortunately, you saw uh, Najee Harris running the black shirts consistently. Uh, but Let's get into that a little bit. I, I think we'll that's, talk that's about a- that. We, we, but we saw some positives uh, on that offensive line. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm thinking, and you're talking about a team, you have to be creative to lose with a minute 20 up 13 something's going on there that was just weird i mean, I mean, I mean that something's like, going what? on there i mean it was so it was so bad i thought those were Jets two season those are two like season level gaffes on both yes. of those plays and it's just like it credit to flacco it, this is kind of the, the funny thing i got in conversations with people about that this week flacco just doesn't give a fuck Flacco will throw the ball forever on the field and you get the turnovers that come with it. But Flacco is the perfect quarterback for that kind of situation. And the Browns just gave it to him. It's, it's, it, it, there was a lot of talk in Minnesota recently about uh fourth and 26, the famous play that McNabb made against the Packers on, on Monday night football to convert that fourth and 26 and, and go on and win the game. When you are facing that large of a distance as a defensive team, people tend to want to yell at the scheme like your scheme was wrong. Guys aren't where they're supposed to be. They're all playing back, which means you're you're giving up a completion underneath inbounds for the sake of making the tackle and letting the clock continue to run. If that player breaks free of that, I'm sorry, that, that's not a schematic issue. That's a want-to issue. And I, I saw that in, among Cleveland secondary more than anything uh, in both games, Cleveland or against Carolina and against the Jets. They didn't really want to. I didn't see them really coming up to, to play all that hard. And I think that's what ended up happening with them. That's really bad though. I mean, it did just to put it into historical context. That's just, it doesn't happen. It's almost mathematically impossible for all those things to happen. Um, <clears throat> the, the get back factor of this for the Browns is pretty high. Yeah. That, that, that comeback was so weird that I'm telling you when me and my dad were watching the game, we thought that the jets won in overtime. We were like, they must have won an overtime. <laughs> like, we, we just figured, yeah, like, plenty of time. We just figured, <laughs> they didn't like, need overtime. It's like, wait a minute, like, they must have won an overtime. Cause I'm thinking, like, okay, they tied a game up somehow. Like, somehow I'm thinking this goes to overtime. I'm thinking, like, there's no way. There's a minute 20. Like, when do they win the game? I, I think that type of stuff hangs over. 
I think there's a get back factor, obviously, but I think that type of stuff hangs over. And I think the Steelers take advantage on a short week. You know, I like the Steelers to win this game. I think you're going to get some turnovers. I think it's going to be an ugly game. I think it's going to look a lot like the Patriot game in some instances. And I'm going to take the Patriots score. And I think the Steelers win this game Thursday, 17-14. But if the Steelers came out and scored one touchdown and got beat, you know, 24-10, that's plausible as well. I mean, you're talking about, you know, a team that scored two offensive touchdowns in nine quarters. And the only team that's probably worse than them offensively in the National Football League is the Indianapolis Colts, who got shut out by Jacksonville. And you should not get shut out in 2022. There is no reason to get shut out in the National Football League currently. But so my prediction is 17 14 Steelers. I got you down at what, 24 16? So 23 13 Browns. 23 13 Browns. And Corey has it at 24 14 Browns. And so I, I'm going with the Steelers. I think they win this game somehow. I'm not very confident in that pick. If I were gambling, I would give you four and a half. I would give four and a half points to any team that scored two offensive touchdowns. And I would take the under if I was gambling on this game. But I'm going to yep. go with the Steelers because I have, uh, so I, 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 for some reason, I'm blindly optimistic this year over the first four games. Somehow I'm picking the Steelers. But I want you, before we get off the show, to, to talk about the Najee issue. You were just going to start bringing it up. Talk about the Najee issue, his vision or lack thereof. I think, and I, I had this in, in the, the B-roll of questions I was going to ask. Corey had decided it was probably a little too technical uh, for, for something like this. But if you were to watch, and maybe we'll see this come Thursday, if you were to watch Nick Chubb um, and then watch film of Najee Harris, you're going to see two polar opposite players. And the thing Corey touched on is the main reason. Nick Chubb has excellent vision. He sees where he needs to go, and he gets to that spot. Najee doesn't seem to, to quickly identify a, a crease in which through he can run. It's not entirely your blockers paving a five-yard wide hole. You don't need to be a great player when, when you have that type of, of running room. You don't get it very often in the NFL. There are very well-schemed, very well-executed plays, and the running back can hit that and go, but – it doesn't happen it, really all that often. You've got to make hay with what's there. What that means is you're, you're getting an acceleration when you get the ball. While you're doing that, you're identifying where it is that you have the room to go. And from there, what they teach is perfect is zero to one move through a hole to, to beat everybody to, to run wild down the field. And from there, it's just a foot race. A really good NFL running back, is going to be two, three moves. There are a couple different things that you need to do, and that, that doesn't mean you do it to fake somebody out. It means you're moving to a different spot where somebody isn't. I know that that seems simple, but that's part of your vision. Think of it like chess. The best chess players are 15 moves ahead of their opponent. They know what's going to happen in sequence um, from their decision to do this. That's going to make everybody else do that. Everybody here probably remembers Le'Veon Bell pretty well. Excellent vision probably the best vision of a running back during his day um, and, and maybe at the same level as as Chubb Bell was not an exceptional athlete <clears throat> he was not overly fast that's for sure 
he was exceptionally quick on his feet, but he knew where guys were going to go and he set them up. That's where the patience part of him came from. He's behind the line of scrimmage, seeing what's going on because he had the, the vision to know he can react one way or another, depending on what they're doing coming after him. Najee has none of that right now. now to some degree, that's an acquired skill. You need to, to get experience. You need reps. You need carries. He's had a lot of carries. And I gave him a pass last year for a lot of those things because he was a rookie. What we've seen through two games right now is concerning. It's really not very good. He has not played well. It's not a question of just your yards. And it's not entirely about the offensive line. Nick Chubb is going to get tackled a couple times for a loss. He's going to have a couple zero runs. Watch the amount of, of eight to 12 yard runs he has in this game. And I guarantee you, most of that is by him making a move, going to where somebody isn't, and getting up the field. Najee doesn't do that. He moves horizontally too much, which destroys the little speed that he has, and defenders can key in on him and make an easy tackle. You're a lot harder to take down if you're moving, especially if you're a big guy. You have a lot of momentum going forward. Najee kills that momentum because he stops where he is and, and tries to, to shake and juke instead of getting up the field finding wherever there is a crease, at the very least, uh, trying to fall forward for two, three yards. He has a lot of zero gains because he's not really doing a whole lot with what he has. I understand he doesn't have a perfect hole every time to run through. Again, though, doesn't take talent to do that. The talent is making something that isn't totally there. And Najee doesn't do that well. That's vision. Najee has a problem with that. Uh, it, it's a film room thing. You hope he puts in the work. But Lance, if I'm challenging any Steelers player this week, it's Najee Harris. He's got to play a lot better than he has because I feel he has the ability to do that. I don't think Mitch Trubisky can help himself because I just don't think he's talented enough to, to do much better than what he is. You need to. Najee should be a lot better than this. The one thing about Le'Veon Bell that you failed to mention is he has a hell of a right hand too. Just ask Adrian Peters. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw the headline that he won. I never, amazingly enough, I never saw the highlights of the fight well, that he, 500 he, people he, probably watched. He KTFO'd. Was it pretty uh, bad? <laughs> he KTFO'd Adrian Peterson. Take a look age. at it uh, on YouTube. He he set him up nice, just like he used to set up runs in the hole. He set up Adrian with the lead right hand, and uh, he vision. KTFO'd Adrian All Peterson. Vision. Uh, it was it was pretty it was pretty funny and it looked like him slow playing a hole and, and pressing it slowly and, and then accelerating because uh, needless to say uh, Adrian Peterson uh, you know he he's not going to win any tough man contests but Neil anything you want to promote anything before we get out of here I got nothing just check out Corey's stuff we're really excited for him um, Kurt on Steelers. I'm looking forward to it. I think uh, Thursday night games can be kind of a slog. It's, it's tough for me. I got to get up uh, pretty early to, to to get working on stuff. But um, I, I like the Steelers Thursday night games. Uh, you, you hope to get a win out of it. I'm not incredibly confident. I'm looking forward to being wrong. And hopefully, I think we're going to do something. Definitely, we're going to bring you a post game. Um for sure, Thursdays, like Neil said, are very weird. So look for the post game and uh, go Steelers. I think the Steelers get this win. Corey and Neil do not, but that's why we play the game. We will see. Thursdays are very interesting. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what that offense looks like on a short week. That could be you. That could be very brutal. 
looking <laughs> whoa i don't know what a scaled back stealer offense looks like with short prep <laughs> i don't <laughs> just gonna play with nine guys on the field i mean that's the only way i think they can be less effective than they have been that's that's pretty scary but with that we're gonna go ahead and conclude the program as always tune in tell a friend and subscribe go Steelers.